presented by American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Tuesday, February 13th, and here's what's driving the day. The Senate worked overnight on the long-stalled supplemental bill. A 66 to 33 vote defeated a conservative filibuster and put the bill, which includes $95 billion in aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, on a path to final passage early today. House Speaker Mike Johnson criticized the Senate for not including any border provisions in the bill. As for what the House will do, in a somewhat cryptic statement, Johnson wrote, in the absence of having received any single border policy change from the Senate, the House will have to continue to work its own will on these important matters. Former President Donald Trump is pushing three major changes at the Republican National Committee, Alex Eisenstadt reports as Trump moves to consolidate control over the party. Trump will support Michael Watley to succeed Ronna McDaniel as the leader of the RNC. He wants Laura Trump to serve as the RNC's co-chairwoman. And he's tapped Chris LaCivita to serve as the RNC's chief operating officer. Watley is the chair of the North Carolina GOP and was a prominent defender of Trump's false claims about election fraud. Laura Trump is the former president's daughter-in-law. Vasavita is Trump's co-campaign manager, a role he will keep. Finally, the center of the political universe today is on Long Island, where voters in Queens and Nassau County will decide whether Democrat Tom Suozzi or Republican Mazzy Pillup will replace George Santos, the fabulist who was expelled from Congress, triggering today's special election. Joining me now to discuss that election is Politico editor, and fellow Long Islander, Steve Shepard. Good morning, Ryan. You're actually from Nassau County, where this New York 3 encompasses. You hail from just south of this district, and I hail from just east of this district. We have it surrounded. (laughs) Exactly. I think when I was growing up, when my family was last living there, Steve Israel was representing that district. You've got an interesting piece this morning, Steve, that looks at the history of special elections, Tell us what you've learned about that history and what you're going to be looking for today. Well, there have been dozens and dozens of special elections for Congress over the past, say, 25 years. And there have been about a little more than two dozen of them have come as the result of a member of Congress who resigned because of scandal. And one of the things that I wanted to look at was, do voters punish that member's party when it comes time to the special election? Obviously, a, a an incumbent congressional, a member of Congress who resigns because of scandal doesn't run in the special election, but is there sort of a leftover stench for his or her party? You know, I looked at a number of different uh, <laughs> resigned members of Congress, many of whom were very infamous, people like Anthony Weiner, most recently Jeff Fortenberry, who resigned as a result of campaign finance violations. That was the last one. Generally speaking, it was not universal, but generally speaking, if you average them all together, the party responsible for the scandal, the party that won the seat in that general election, does about nine points worse on average in the special election, according to the margin. And look, when it comes down to it, I'm not sure that any of these folks are more infamous than George Santos. And so, you know, we're going to have to see whether that stench follows Mazi Pillup, the Republican nominee here, or if some of the issues that are at play in this race, namely immigration and crime, if those issues have been elevated so much in a place like New York and Long Island, then that may be enough to overcome 
the stench of that Santos scandal. So those are going to be kind of the dynamics that I'm watching. Steve, one question I have about this is what what are you knowing that? Do you think that Swazi has made enough of Santos and tying Mozzie Pillup to Santos and uh, reminding voters that she is a relatively new face in New York politics, although not as new as, as, as Santos? Do you think he's played that card uh, as much as he should? He's done a little bit of it. You know, it's funny, you mentioned Steve Israel at the start of this conversation. I talked to Congressman Israel last week. He's got a, a bookstore there in Oyster Bay now. He's living, living, living the life. Uh, named after uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I believe, who's obviously yes. a, a famous son of Oyster Bay. Yep. I, I talked to him about a little bit about the Swazi strategies. Tom Swazi replaced him in Congress after Steve Israel retired after the 2016 elections. He had some questions about that strategy. He felt like there wasn't a lot of the tying Mozzie Pillip to George Santos. There wasn't even a lot of talking about the issues that maybe were more in Tom Swasey's wheelhouse when it comes to where voters say they trust Democrats more than Republicans. From his perspective, it was a lot of Tom Swasey on defense talking about, you know, both his record as a more moderate Democrat and also trying to answer some of these Republican attacks, particularly on immigration. That strategy is interesting. We saw Finally, at the end last week, House Majority PAC, the top Democratic super PAC on House races, mentioned George Santos in an ad uh, to try to tie Mozzie Pillip to George Santos. We saw Tom Swazi in the final weekend of the campaign call Mozzie Pillip George Santos 2.0. But when it comes to the paid messaging, there's not a ton of George Santos here. I think the hope is among Democrats that the, the reason for the special election, the reason why on a snowy day in February – Voters in northeastern Queens and the north shore of Nassau County are going to the polls. If that's baked in, then that'll work for them. If not, then maybe Mozzie Pillip's able to get the distance she needs. Steve, there's a lot of talk about this race being uh, a bellwether, perhaps, for the general election um, and uh, a referendum on Biden-Trump. And, you know, sometimes I think some of that's overstated. But one thing that, that is, is, is certainly true is that the suburbs of Long Island have been going in a different direction from the suburbs uh, in the in the rest of the country generally in the Biden era. Tell us a little bit about that distinction and what you're going to be looking for when it comes to that story in the election results. Yeah, basically since 2020, Republicans have been on this long winning streak on Long Island. They've won essentially everything. Will that continue here in this special election when things are seemingly lined up for Democrats given the Santos scandal? Look, you mentioned that these suburbs have not done the same things that other suburbs have across the country, including in 2022. The continued Democratic strength in the suburbs is why both Josh Shapiro and John Fetterman won pretty handily in Pennsylvania. It's why Gretchen Whitmer won re-election by double digits in Michigan. Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Democrats were able to continue to do well in those suburbs. That didn't happen in New York. This isn't a perfect bellwether. But it's kind of the only one we have, and it is one that tells us uh, maybe a little bit more about the current political moment we're in. We're coming out of this week where we've spent a lot of time talking about Joe Biden's age and fitness and how voters perceive those things. We're spending a lot of time talking about immigration. Voters are, are absorbing that in a district where it's been the number one issue in this race. Obviously, you don't want to overread these special elections, especially given the forecast for snow uh, and what that could do to voter turnout and the fact that these are not, these suburbs don't necessarily look like suburbs across the rest of the country. But I think they will tell us something. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to parsing the results when we get them.
Excellent. Well, um, I wish we had done this conversation at a diner in Hicksville in real Long Island fashion. So maybe we can chew over the results uh, uh, tonight if we can get up there and uh, make it through the snow. You got it, Ryan. In this district, I'd go with Umberto's and New Hyde Park. That's my, that's my choice. <laughs> All right. Have a good day, man. And for your schedule today, the House meets at noon and at 2 p.m. will take up several items, including the impeachment, once again, of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, with votes postponed until 6.30 p.m. The Senate is in, and Joe Biden doesn't have any public events scheduled, but he will dine with the vice president over lunch at 12.30. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. The EPA is set to finalize a regulation designed to end the sale of new gas and diesel cars, regardless of what drivers want, need, and can afford. Polling shows that Americans think the Biden EPA is moving too far too fast. President Biden, stop the EPA's car ban. Vehicle policies can't just work for some of us, they should work for all of us.